0: So uh, we really need to talk about this more, and you will find out why, and it is about money. And every time a pastor, this is actually not true, all the pastors I know, when you talk about money, you, you always worry about guests that are with you that day, and, and uh, wow, it's their only day to come, and what did you talk about? He talked about money. Um, but we're going to talk about money, and I'll tell you why. Uh, It's a lot of reasons, but uh, money is a tool. It is a power. And if you read the scripture, you will see that it also is a God. It, It has very God potential. And we struggle with that. All of us do. It's easy to struggle with money. Whether you have money or you don't have money makes no difference. You can still struggle with money. You can be as greedy and homeless. You can be as impoverished and be rich. Money is a strange, strange creature. Um, And the scripture really reveals that to us. You know, this is really the conclusion of of a series we've done on stewardship. And we began that stewardship with, um, uh, actually, we're going to go and kind of in reverse at how we went, but the stewardship is a great empire. It's the empire that you run, you operate. You are the sole operator of an empire that God has created, and that is you. And last week, we looked at purpose, God created each of us with a purpose, and, and, and the value of understanding that, the value of that capturing you is priceless. Because you're going to see as we go through today, I think what most people suffer from in this world is a lack of real purpose, an understanding that their life has value and meaning that is intrinsic. It's built in by God's design. Your life has meaning. And we can go all the way through our life and accomplish a lot of things and never accomplish what was purposed for us, and our life at that point is marked with failure, no matter what we achieved in our own ability. So, this purpose um, we have time, we have been given this allotment of time on earth. It is a great amount of your powers to understand that you are in charge. Of your empire. All that it is, all that it exists of, all that it is capable of being has a time clock running on it, and it's, it's yours. And when that time is up, there is no more time. When that time is up, what has transpired in the empire known as you? What has happened? How is it changed or affected the world, your family, the universe. There is a sense in the scripture of urgency about our purpose in this time. You weren't born in 1912 or 5000 BC. You were born today in this time, and your purpose is alive right now in this time. And to miss that, all the rest of the pieces will come apart. You were given gifts and talents coming into this world. You were given capabilities. They're yours. For the purposes that you were created for in this time. You can use them for other things. You can use them to build something different. You can use them to glorify you. You can do anything you choose with them. They're yours. God is never going to take it away from you because you're misusing it. That seems like a curse, doesn't it? I mean, if God would just... You could tell when you're walking with God, oh, it's, it's not working. But no, that is yours to operate with and in. <clears throat> I, uh, I think that this can become more complicated than we would like to think. I think it can become a little bit overwhelming when we try to get those pieces as simple as those four pieces sound when they come together. So I have this clip from Big Bang Theory. Penny is actually not in it. But uh, I'm sorry, we'll have another clip with Penny because I think she's great. But um, I want us to show this clip because it um, I think can show a little bit of the dizzying effect of what you have to do with your kingdom. If we could? How about we go rock, paper, scissors? No, <laughs> I don't think so. I suggest rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. <laughs> scissors cuts paper. Paper covers rock. Rock crushes lizard. Lizard poisons Spock. Spock smashes scissors. Scissors decapitates lizard. Lizard eats paper. Paper disproves Spock. Spock vaporizes rock. And as it always has, rock crushes scissors. <laughs> Okay, I think I got it. (laughs) Rock, paper, scissors, 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 (laughs) Spock. Don't you wish you could say, oh, I got it, after that? When he first did that, I thought, Cooper Polly did all right. Yeah, I got that. A little dizzying, and it still didn't work. They still came out the same. You have an empire to run. It's you. But there are expectations of your empire that God created. They're there. And as we go forward, uh, I just want us to look at a few scriptures. Uh, The plan and purpose for you. You have time. I don't know how much you have. I don't know how much I have. You have gifts and you have talents. You have purpose and you have the Holy Spirit. That means you have God inside of you, putting all those pieces together. The scripture tells us in Ephesians 2, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You have a life of destiny. No matter how small you feel, how compromised you might feel, how insignificant you might feel, it, God is saying, I prepared a purpose for you in this time. In Romans 8, 28, starting with verse 27, actually, and he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will, with the purpose of God. The Spirit is working in you. He's interceding. He's interjecting according to God's purpose in you. And we know that in all things God works for the, uh, for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into his, the image of his son. Part of your purpose is you will be conformed into a human being that resembles Jesus more than Adam. And so that life you have has an eternal plan. Jeremiah tells us that was in place before you were born, before you were conceived. So I want you to understand, your life has a very eternal quality to it. Before you existed, your purpose was, Was real. This is what makes you so important in this time. You are God given purpose in this time. And then I showed you this framework of you, framework of me. That we have this time, gifts, talents are operating in that. And then we looked at the message of the servant who the five uh, had the five bags and the two bags and the one bag. And we see with the guy with one bag, buried the bag, handed it back at the end of his life, we can call it that. Just one bag where the others invested. And the scripture calls that an evil servant. Why? Because he took the gifts and the talent and the opportunities and the resources and the time and he produced nothing. He lived, probably had a family, had a favorite team, a car. A hobby, you know, gave at the local church, but he did not put to work those things that he was entrusted with in his time. So, what he gave back to God is exactly what God invested. How do you measure your life? Your potential is a serious part of God himself. And life will challenge this charge. Life will get in the way of your life, I tell you. It is the most challenging thing in your life is your life. People can go day by day, live day by day, week by week, year by year, and when they get to the end of their life, they never really started on their life. They breathed, they ate, they drank, they fell in love, they created babies, they got fired, they got hired, they retired, but they never really started doing the life that God put in them. Because life will challenge the priority of God. You're going to find that life is always urgent. And God is just important. God is rarely urgent for anybody. So you will do life, because life is always urgent. But at the end of the day, what was important will be important, and what was urgent will be over. I gave you a Denzel Washington clip, and I'm going to use that to just move in, To talking, yes, we are going to talk about money. Denzel Washington said, dreams without goals remain dreams, just dreams. And ultimately, they will fuel disappointment. Goals on the way to achievement, they are the things that are on the way to achievement uh, and cannot. cannot be accomplished, that's what that should say, without discipline and consistency. So between goals and achievement is discipline and consistency. Now, most people, when I say that about getting good at something, getting a job, earning a degree, it makes good sense to them. Your purpose, your life, your spirituality, your walk with God if you want it, and that's all, it is just a dream. If you want to walk with God, if you think it's a great idea, if, if you think God's plan is a great idea, and it stays right there, it's just a dream. And at the end of the day, all it will do is fuel disappointment in your life. And you will need goals along the way toward achievement spiritually. You will have to have something along the way because if you don't, you'll go to church, you'll go to a home group, you'll read your Bible some, you will pray some, but at the end of your life, you won't have anything to show for all of that. you're going to find that a spiritual life will take discipline and consistency. Your spiritual life will take discipline and consistency. And and if those are two things that you're not good at, you go, wow, I suck at those. Here's what God would say, I don't. God would say, I don't suck at those. And I am on your team. What he would say to you is, I am discipline and consistency. And I am on your team. So that is not what will stop you from your purpose. It will be that you decided not to apply discipline and consistency in your spiritual life toward a God purpose. It will be because you decided not to do that. I like this uh, quote. Um, It's, you know... I don't know if you can read it from there, but uh, effectiveness in human endeavor calls for, uh, calls the originating, uh, uh, the organized budgeting of time. For the average man, the 24 hours of each day should be divided as follows, eight hours for sleep, eight hours for work, eight hours for recreation and spare time. The successful person budgets time, income, and expenditures, living within his means. The failure squanders time and income with a contemptuous disregard for their value. What I like is the bottom line. Tell me how you spend your spare time and how you spend your money and I will tell you where and what you will be 10 years from now. You know... That last line is pretty solid. As, as a pastor, when I do counseling, if I could be really, really honest with people, when they walk in the door, I could ask them three or four questions, and I could tell them, you know, you're really wasting your time here. Let me tell you where you're going to be in 10 years based on what you're doing. Now, it sounds so arrogant, doesn't it? My desire is never to be arrogant or to make people sound like their life is pretty simple uh, and not important or not complicated. Life is complicated. But the truth is, those are kind of biblical principles, and they work well. And if I apply no discipline or consistency uh, in those things, they won't materialize. So, here's kind of how this breaks out. Money says, earn me, forget everything else. Prioritize me the highest. Time says, follow me, forget everything. Future says, struggle for me and forget everything. God says, just remember me and I will give you everything. Now, all of these, what you're showing here... All of those have the potential to be your God, all of them. All of them have the power and the capability to be your God. You just have to pick which one is going to be your God. I made this, uh, this is really a pyramid, it's a 2D pyramid because I couldn't figure out how to do a 3D pyramid. It's not one of my gifts. Here's what it looks like for a lot of us. We apply our purpose and our talents and our gifts, and this is time going up. The point at the top is the end. That's how much time you have. How big is your pyramid? I don't know. But many of us, our purpose becomes to gain possession, to gain money, gain status. For many of us, it defaults to this. I'm not saying people choose this, I'm saying it kind of defaults to this. (coughs) Or it might look like this the next one. Our gifts, our talents, Maybe that's where you get your accolades. That's what people are most impressed with with you. You can do amazing things. It's making you famous. And so it realigns. And so money can become your ultimate purpose of your time. Or your gifts and your talents and what they produce can become the ultimate purpose of your time in your life. But the truth is, these will never, ever produce your life the way God created it. Because God created it to look like this. Your money and your possessions, your talents and your gifts, engaged with the Holy Spirit within, all driving but toward the purpose that God has. For your existence, time is the field where your money, your possessions, your talents, your gifts, and the power of the Holy Spirit come together to produce the fruit of God's kingdom. Ultimately, feeding forward into the purpose for which God intended. This is what it looks like. You know, there are about 500 verses on prayer in the Bible. There are about 2,500 verses on money. You know why? Because prayer is rarely an idol or a god to humanity. But money is. Why why is money so powerful in the scripture? Why is it so talked about? Well, uh, let's look at a few, and I think it will begin to become evident. God changes our measure of value. Matthew sixteen twenty six twenty seven, 27. What good is it if someone is to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory and his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. And he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. All God has to do is look for your treasure and he will find your heart. Luke 16, verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. you cannot serve both God and money. Isn't it interesting how it takes two masters and then at the end reveals who they are? God and money. Why does God of money make such a perfect God? Well, money can buy time. It can't extend your triangle. You're a pyramid, but you can hire somebody to do your laundry. You can hire somebody to work on your car, hire somebody to cook your food, hire somebody to do your taxes, to fix your house. If you've got enough money, you can hire somebody to do work for you. In fact, if you have enough money, you can do absolutely nothing all day, all night. or just go shopping money can buy time money can buy experiences do you want to go on a safari do you want to shoot an elephant do you want to climb to mount everest do you want to go into space tell me what you want do you want to go into the into the mariana trench all it takes is money It's just money. The only thing separating you from all those things is money. (laughs) And that's an interesting statement because it's at the end of purpose, at the end of the pyramid, is when you find out how limited money really is. It is a placebo, it's a fake, but in this world, it rules. In this world, it has power. I had some clips, but I didn't want to take all the time on clips. I had one, there's a rich guy. He's a young guy. He says, Somebody said he was rude. He said, I don't have to be nice, I'm rich. You don't have to be nice when you're rich. Somebody talked about how ugly he was. How does he get good looking girls? He said, I don't have to be good looking, I'm rich. It's true. If I'm rich enough, I can have really, really good-looking girlfriends. Boyfriends. I can have good-looking anything if I have enough money. That's the economy of this world. And what God is saying is, you will not achieve my purpose if you were operating in the economy of this world, because my economy is different. My priorities are very different. Money can buy some gifts. It can buy some talents. Money can even buy a purpose. It can buy a purpose for your life. People with a lot of money, almost all of them develop a charity of some kind. I'm going to create a purpose. I have money. It can be starving children somewhere. It can be the slave trade, the sex trade. It can be save animals, save the environment, save the globe, save the water, save the whales, save something. But it won't save a soul. Money buys purposes all the time. But it won't buy God's purpose. Luke 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's not where life exists. Money, because we feel the effects of it, has a powerful voice in most of our lives. For many of us here, we have known the need for money. People here, I know people here have been homeless and really desperately struggled financially. I know people here have done very well financially, but the Bible says that is not where you see how the story unfolds, because trustworthiness is not conditional. Trustworthiness is not conditional. Let's read Luke 16, 10 through 12. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So, trustworthiness in you. Here's what the scripture is saying. If you don't do it when you're poor, you will not do it when you're rich. If you're not good with money when you're poor, you won't be good with money when you're rich. Let me tell you another one that's strange. If you don't pay your bills when you're poor, you won't pay your bills when you're rich. If you won't use a small amount of time to follow God, you will not use a larger amount of time to follow God. You won't. If you're really busy, you got lots of commitments, you just don't have time for God in your life. Your kids leave the house, you get laid off, you still won't have time for God in your life. I'm telling you it's a true statement because it doesn't have to do with time. It has to do with what you decide is your purpose and your priority. What is important versus what is urgent. If you do not prioritize God when you have no time, you will not prioritize him when you have time. So asking for more time will not help you. If you do not give money when you don't have any money, you won't give money when you have money. You'll still have to learn that piece. If you won't sacrificially give with little, you won't sacrificially give when you're well off. It is a condition for us. And the scripture is talking to us and saying, this is how I train up people to achieve their purpose. We struggle with contentment. I won't get a show of hands, but I'm sure there are people here that really want something they can't afford. Um, I'm I'm in that group. I'm not saying that's a, a bad thing. I'm saying that the real question is, how well do we hold on to our contentment? when our life reverses, when things go poorly. Philippians 4, 10 through 14. This is Paul speaking. He says, I'm glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess. This is the message, by the way. Happy that you're again showing such strong concern for me. Not that you ever quit praying and thinking about me. You just had no chance to show it. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I have learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. He goes on I'm just as happy with little as with much. With much as with little. I have found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry hands full, hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. I don't mean that your help didn't mean a lot to me. It did. It was a beautiful thing that you came alongside me in my troubles this is when the church at Philippi sent him money. He was very grateful for the offering. But what he wanted them to know is learn from this when the offerings aren't there, am I still the same person? Am I still content? Or can my contentment be purchased with money? Can my contentment be driven away with the lack of money? Can my life be controlled with the presence or the absence of money? Am I happy with steak? Am I happy with beanie weenies? Am I content? When I'm demoted from this job to this job, Will I never get over that? Will it be just too offensive for me to work at that company? Do I struggle when I lose a title, when I lose part of my paycheck, when there's a cutback? Am I one that just that offense will stay with me forever? Is that what the world around me will know about walking with God? Matthew chapter 6 is talking about where are we storing up treasures? The call in 20 is store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy. Where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Over and over again, Scripture challenges and warns us about money. First Timothy six, nine and ten. Those of you who want uh, to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and uh, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with many griefs. Money isn't evil. not evil, but the desire for money has really misled many people. Normally we desire it because it'll make us more comfortable, it'll get us things we want, it'll fulfill some desires, it will do some things that God says, why haven't you talked to me about those things? Money can fix our lives. That's how it feels. Now when you suffer a loss, a family member, a divorce, a child, you experience a loss that money cannot heal. And you realize that money has great limitations. It only can do God things when it's in the hands of God people for God purpose. Freddie Mercury on his deathbed made the comment, I had all this money, all this fame. I couldn't seem to buy the love I wanted. What a terrible regret on your deathbed. I just couldn't seem to buy that love that I so dearly wanted and needed. In Matthew chapter 6, we begin to see God's change in how this works. So don't worry saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. The ones that don't have God run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. Seek first what God is doing in this time. Look for it. Use your discipline and your consistency to connect with what God is doing. Your money is very important to God. It's important to God. Whether you have a dollar or a million dollars, your money is really important to God. Not because he needs your money. but because your purpose can be carried out using what he has given you, whether it's a small amount or a large amount. Now, in the church, you hear a lot about the term a tithe. Some churches require a tithe. Uh, What is a tithe? If you're kind of new to all this stuff, you might go, what is a tithe? A tithe is just a, a way of saying a tenth, 10%. And these verses... I listed four of them here, really discuss historically God calling for 10%. Now, back then, people were farmers and, you know, raised cattle, this kind of thing. And so they brought in 10% of their cattle, 10%. The way they would do it, they'd run, you know, like the herd through, and they would, you know, every 10th one, uh, you know, bring in the crops and things like this. Now, there were also some rules that kept you from cheating, because we tend to do that because, see, our crops are our money, and money always has that pull. I can walk right now because I was prayed for this morning. I could not move this leg. It's just really cool. Forgive me for that, but I was just saying, this is like a miracle cool, you know? I'm not dying of pain right now, so... Thank you. Yeah. Uh, That was a God purpose right there, you know, and I'm just, I was just, I was sitting up here in tears. And uh, so, thank you. God made it specific. He said, you know, if you start moving your sheep around where all the weak, sickly ones are like every tenth one it's going to cost you too. You know, we had, they had to come up with rules to keep us from playing it because we play, don't we? God doesn't need your cows. Doesn't need your money. God's view is this. Your time, it actually belongs to me and always did. Your talents, your gifts, where did you get those? You got them from me. Did you have a good crop this year? You're welcome. Did you get a pay raise this year? You're welcome. Did you get a job this year? You're welcome. Glad to be in your life that way. Because your life belongs to me. He says, All the gold all the cattle, all the paychecks. I am the creator. The struggle is when we start trying to figure out and divide out, okay, God, what do I have to give to you and call yours, and what do I get to keep and call mine? God says, there you just made the big mistake. Let's start out with different language. It's all mine. That's what God would say. Now, when I say mine, I'm not saying the church. God's saying, it's mine. Now, let's start from there. I don't know if anybody is familiar with Laterno University. Uh, it's a kind of a prestigious u- university up in uh, East Texas. Um, it became a huge uh, manufacturing company. Uh, Mr. Laterno did ultimately started a university. Um, you know his concept of wealth was really centered in the tithe, uh, and I'll show you what that looks like in Malachi chapter three. This is the last book in the Bible. Starts with verse eight, and this is dialogue between God's people and God. So this is God speaking. You ask, but how do we return? How do we come back to you? How do we make our relationship right, which is apart? God's answer. This is in the message, by the way. Begin by being honest. What a blow. Begin by being honest. Do honest people rob God? But you rob me day after day. Their answer, how have we robbed you? You know, how can we rob God? God's answer, the tithe and the offering. That's how. And now you're under a curse, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. Bring your full tithe into the temple treasury so there will be ample provision in my temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven's windows, open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. Do you hear what God is saying? I've... Keeping you honest, keeping it where you understand that these resources that you can do all kinds of trading and buying and influencing with, that's really a gift from me. Keeping you honest in that, just bring back 10% of that that I gave to you. I'm going to let you manage the rest. You give up 10%, I'm going to let you manage the rest. It doesn't mean it's not God's money, and it doesn't mean that it's not used for God's purpose. It still is. The other 90% isn't out of God's control. He's saying, stand down on 10%. It comes out of your hands. And you keep 90%, and you and I will work with that 90% in your life. And he says, if you do this, If you're going to trust me with this, here's what I am willing to do with you. I will open up heaven itself. And I will pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. For my part, I will defend you against marauders. Protect your wheat fields, your vegetable gardens against plunderers. The message of God of the angel armies. You'll be voted happiest nation. You'll experience what it's like to be a country of grace. God of the angel armies says so. You know, many people have looked at that and said, that sounds like the better deal. What God is saying is, trust me with a little bit, and I can give you more. Because if I give you very little and I can't trust you with it, how can I give you more? Isn't that what the scripture said? A lot of people try to use this as like a formula to get rich. Isn't that the way we are? But he's saying, trust me. And it will open up things that I can do for you. Mr. Letourneau gave 10%. But what he thought in his head is, Seems like that that's backwards to me. Maybe I should get 10% and he should get 90%. So that became his goal. He raised his giving to 20%, and then 30%, and then 40%, and then 50%, and he stopped at 90. Mr. Laternote. Passed away as a billionaire. And he started with nothing. But he seemed to really trust God. That God's word was good. Your purpose, your money, your possessions. They're all at play. Your talents. To reorient those things so that your life can begin to produce the purpose of God. Now, here at our church, and by the way, there are many people that will say the concept of the tithe is an Old Testament concept. Therefore, we cannot be uh, dogmatic or uh, legalistic about that 10%. I would say that is absolutely a true statement. There is no there is no percentage mentioned in the New Testament. I actually think it would be um, backward to have such a thing in the New Testament. You see, in the Old Testament... They needed rules for guidelines to try to walk the path that God gave them. But in the New Testament, what God has given us is the Holy Spirit. And when you read in Philippians, you read in Ephesians, you read in Colossians, how sacrificially they gave. It's in every book. We don't need a percentage. Now, to make it easy for people, our church adopts that language of 10% as a minimum. That's what we expect from our, our believers. 10%. Now, if you do the math, that's going to sound like a lot of money, especially if you don't make enough money now. But I'm going to tell you today that there are people, there are stories of how God was honorable when people took the risk to give. When people took the risk to be honorable with God, how their lives financially flourished. They're right here in this room. My challenge to you, this has everything to do with maturity and growing. Money is always going to try to be a God and a purpose. And my challenge is, you should give to your church. You should give to the church. We... um, and, and you might ask, what, what do we do with money here? Well, we keep the A.C. and the lights on and some of the basics. I get a salary. I'm sorry to say I don't know exactly how much that is, but it's, it's, it's not a salary that would impress you. It might depress you, but it is not a salary that would impress you. Um, but, but the truth is, I don't work for salaries. I don't work for God for a salary. And if the church cut my salary to zero, I'd still be here doing the exact same thing I'm doing. Because this is my purpose. And my purpose cannot be bought or sold. And if somebody comes and offers me a job for $100,000 a year, Unless God says, this is where you're going, I am right here. Because this is where my purpose is. You want to see God do amazing things? Then challenge the role money has in your life. Now, I know that some people can't give 10%. And my, my counsel would be, give till you feel the hurt. And then plan a goal to be at 10% in six months or whatever it is. Make something hurt. That's, that's, that's what I would tell you to do. And what I would tell you is God meets those who are trusting him with the things that can make your life work correctly. Money. Money. Money can be a god because it can do so many things for you, so many things for me, <clears throat> and it will always be a temptation. I was on staff at the Houston Vineyard for a number of years. Um, I'm going to really tell you a terrible thing about me. Uh, I had some, uh, I had some expenses, so I stopped my tithing. I stopped giving. For um, to take care of my expenses, and uh, my boss saw that this was like in September or something like that. I had not given anything, and um, he called me in. He was so he was in tears. He was in tears. He was just so broken at, at this reality that I just hadn't been able to trust God on that level at all. And it, and it broke my heart. And I went home and I prayed as, God, I didn't have any money. I said, here's what I'm asking you to do. Make a way. Make a way for me to fix this. Would you do that, God. About a week later, I get a check in the mail from the government who had collected this money from a company I'd worked for like 15 years ago who they had underpaid me on my commissions. I knew nothing about any of this. And some government audit took place And they saw this, and they made them cut a check to me. So they cut a check to the government to clean up their offenses with the government. The government, I get a, a check from the U.S. Treasury for the exact amount of money, which was in the thousands, that I was behind. I was so amazed. I was so amazed. Now, that sounds all good and everything, and... And I sound like I'm really catching on at this point. But then I'm going to tell you what happened after that that shows you what money can do. I thought, you know, if I use half of this to pay off my really high credit card, the one with the big interest rate, If I use half of this to pay that off, give half to the church, and then I could very quickly make up the other, maybe even before the end of the year. Doesn't that sound good? And I just felt the Spirit catch me. Do you really want to take the answer to your prayer and do that? It was a trap. It was a trick. And then I thought, no, I don't. And I didn't do it. Aren't you glad? <clears throat> I would still tell this story if I messed that up. But, but the story was, I, I was debt free by the end of the year, and my tithe was paid because I trusted God. He will give you more when we trust him more. That doesn't mean that people who don't have any money are not trustworthy by God. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I think it's dangerous to get into those places. What I want to say is that money can do so many things that people without money pray for. It will try to be at least one of the gods in your life. What it's supposed to be is one of the things that moves toward your purpose. What is your purpose in this life? I'll tell you some of it. Be a source of light and life wherever you go. The scripture tells you, be a source of light and life wherever you go. Whatever the circumstances. Are things going really poorly? Or is everybody against you? Is your family difficult? Be a light. Be a source of light for the world. That's your purpose. Let your talents, let your gifts, let your money, let everything line up. That you are a source of light and life everywhere you go. And that way, God can move you anywhere and everywhere. Into the darkest dungeon and onto the highest hill. Daily relationship with God your Father. That's your purpose. That's the place where you will stay centered And able to go forward. Live out life in relationship with the body of Christ. Live out life in relationship with the body of Christ. We're called to live together like this. Challenge one another. Encourage one another. Be in one another's life. Part of your purpose. Change the world. Change the world. We are often deceived into thinking that we are uh, insignificant people beyond our small circle, that we really don't have the capacity to change the world, but. Your purpose is about changing the world. And to surrender that is to surrender a big part of what God has called you to. We have the capacity to change the world. We just have to do these other things. Commit to evaluating how you are moving toward your goals. You want to know how to have goals about your spiritual life? You need goals on what you do with your money. What is your money doing spiritually? If you don't have goals, money will never do anything spiritually. I'm going to say live beyond your means. Some of you really like that statement. Some of you will have great trouble with that statement. Let me tell you what I mean by it. Your dreams, your goals had better be more than you can buy with the money in your wallet. Living beyond your means is not about spending more money than you have. It is about stepping into the goals of changing the world, of being a light, of being an influencer, of being a world changer, of being something of substance and significant for God in the world that you're in, in the time that you have. You see, that is beyond what you can do with your money and your time and your gifts and your talent. You will have to add God to that for it to go the distance. That's living beyond your means. If you say, I will spend $10 because I have 12, I will spend two minutes because I have four, you will not change the world. But if you say, God, here's what I have. Make it more. I desire more. I desire to express and reveal and to take hold of that purpose for which I was created. Now you are dealing in a commodity and a quantity that is far beyond what you are capable of buying. And that is God country. You see, that's where we become far less small. Live beyond your means. Your goals should go beyond your means. Are you growing? You know, are you more kind? Are you more forgiving? Are you more merciful? There are things we work on that change the receptors of our mind and our spirituality. All those things... Are in play. But I tell you, if you commit to your purpose and you commit your money to your purpose and your time to your purpose, you will long for changing here. You see, when it says give, don't give out of obligation, but give with a joyful heart. I know people who don't give because they said, I don't have a joyful heart. They let it in there. What it's really saying is, now you see what you need to work on. You need a joyful heart. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness. How about self-control? All of those things. Working toward a discipline and a consistency of life that will produce the purpose God has put in you. If you would stand, please.